Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Jake in the Paint podcast. I'm here for my second official episode, and I'm going to recap an epic weekend of March Madness with you guys. So we had some history being made over the weekend. First ever 16 seed to beat a one, UMBC takes down UVA. And then we also had the second largest comeback in March Madness history with Nevada coming back from a 22-point deficit and just about just over 10 minutes left to end up beating Cincinnati and pull off that upset. So those two games, along with plenty of other games, made for a crazy weekend in March. I know the college basketball fans loved it. I loved it. And I'm pretty confident that the average sports fan just loved it. Great, great basketball, epic games, had a couple buzzer beaters. Shout out to Jordan Poole. My Michigan Wolverines are moving on to the Sweet 16. We'll get to that later, but some buzzer beaters, epic finishes, and just overall great basketball. This is why you love March. So without further ado, I'm going to go start region by region. We're going to go in the same order we did last time, and I'm just going to go over the most notable games, the most notable outcomes. We're not going to go game by game like we did last time, but just kind of go through the most notable games, and I'm going to give you my takes on them, kind of maybe why my thought on why they happened. But first, I want to kind of give you guys my theory on why upsets happen, and they're not random anymore. I mean, they happen in NCAA tournament almost every year. I was looking up the stats earlier, and about 40%, 35% of 12 seeds have beaten five seeds. And your five seeds, I mean, we see they're these are the middle pack teams in like your top conferences, like the ACC, and sometimes your finishers. We like, in I mean, we had Auburn as a four seed, but they were they finished at the top of the a- the SEC. Like you have legit high major teams are fours and fives, and they're getting constantly upset by these mid major teams. So. I kind of went and took a look why and kind of looked at the most notable upsets and the upsets this year. And I kind of put together, I, there's two pieces to the puzzle for me. First, you have that mental aspect of, is the high major team going to not prepare and take this team seriously? Do they not respect their opponent? Do they not watch film like they would for a regular other game? And the second part is to me that once they get in that game and they see that they're not going to roll this mid-major over like they thought they would, do they get flustered? Do they revert from their original play style or are they able to snap back into it? And the good teams, the ones that end up winning it all and going to the final four are the eight are the teams that are able to snap back into it and get back to their original play. But as we've seen this weekend, that's easier said than done. And so I put together my two, those two categories, one, not respecting your opponent before the game. And then while you're in the game, kind of getting flustered and in March, I mean, we know there's a lot on the line. I mean, for these seniors, sometimes it's their last chance you're ever going to get to play basketball. We saw J.P. McCurra, his career end on a questionable charge call. I mean, I saw a tweet from ESPN's Jeff Borzell, and he said, it's amazing that J.P. McCurra actually fouled out with only two fouls, and sometimes that's just how it is. I mean, there's a lot on the line in March, so some teams take that, and that makes them more locked in, and others make that more flustered. I mean, you, we saw with UVA, like, I, we saw the t- press conference with Ty Jerome. I mean, he made it really aware to that reporter, by the way. That's why I hate the mainstream media. I don't know if you saw my Twitter. What kind of question is that to ask a kid who just poured his heart and soul into the season and just a heartbreaking loss? You're the first ever one to go down. Clearly, you know that. And you have the audacity to ask him, are you aware of that happening? And that's why, to me, these players hate talking to the media, especially after a loss. So... You guys are going to get to see later on when I start interviewing players. I kind of like to be lighthearted and 
let them kind of express their true feelings and let them talk about what they want to talk about along with some basketball talk. And so we're not just, I'm not just feeding them the typical questions and they're not just feeding me their typical answers. And I think for me, it works out better because you really get to know the people. But when you get on that higher media level, I guess, you're, you have an agenda and your agenda is to get a quote from the player in the press conference. But sometimes, and we saw throughout this weekend, I don't know if you guys watch the press conferences, I definitely stick around on those channels and watch them if they're once the games are over. And some of these reporters, man, they just ask the stupidest questions. I don't know what they're trying to get at. Well, I, I do know what they're trying to get at, but it's poor execution. And I felt bad for Ty Jerome in that instance. But, I mean, UVA, you, we were all watching that game, and we're going to start going into the bracket now. UVA, UMBC is the first game I'm going to go into because we're starting off with that South region, that first game in the South region, the biggest upset in college basketball history. We had the number 16 seed, UMBC, which, as Nikki and I talked about, were one of those teams that kind of stole a bid from their conference. The Ver Vermont dominated that conference the entire year, and Jarius Lyles, who we all know now, was the unsung hero. He pulled up from three when the game was tied and hit a buzzer beater and led them to the NCAA tournament. So they were not They were one of those teams where if so the conference layout was as some people want, where it's just the, if you win your regular season in the conference, you get in. And the conference, some people want the conference tournaments to stop. I like the conference tournaments. I think it's more madness, more fun, but some people want them to stop. So if that format was as the number one seed, the person who, the team that won their conference, which would be Vermont, automatically got a bid to the tournament, UMBC would not be in the tournament. So that's how they were a 16 seed. And they basically, they played a Virginia game in the first half. I mean, we saw it was tied 21-21 and the thing about that game for me is I ch I was flipping back and forth and I saw it scoring. It didn't it didn't shock me. I mean Virginia, how many games have they played where it's in the twenties at halftime? Like to me, that wasn't what flustered Virginia because that definitely goes in the in-game flustered, don't know what to do, cannot revert back to their original play style category for me. I mean UVA did not look like themselves in that second half, but I think they were locked in before the game. I think they respected their opponent it's a Tony Bennett team they're fundamentally sound I have no doubts about that but it's just when they got in the game and when that second half tipped it's like I to me I was just talking to someone about this and it's they asked me do you really think that UMBC thought they could beat Virginia from the tip and to, I told them I don't think so I mean I think Jarius Lyles is a killer he's from DeMatha shout out to coach Mike Jones he's been a huge supporter of the blog from whence I first started and he produced Jarius Lyles. He's a local kid, and I think he's a flat-out killer. So I think I told them I think Jarius and maybe KJ Mar, their point guard, without a doubt, one of the biggest dogs in the tournament, gets after on both ends. He's about my size, nothing bigger, and he left it all on the floor. So congrats to those two guys on great careers, and they ended it in a perfect way, even though they didn't end up on top. But I think those guys maybe believe that they could dethrone this monster, but I don't think as a team they really thought that until it's the second half started. And the second half was really the turning point because it went from UVA being cold and just another game at the rodeo for an for like a slow-paced UVA game to when UMB started hitting shots. And then UVA kind of looked around and was like, oh, they're hitting shots. Like, when are we going to start hitting our shots? And then the clock kept ticking down. UV UMBC built this lead up. And I think we were watching it. And with about 10 minutes left, UMBC was up 14. And they put a, a, a little thing on the screen that said this is UVA's largest deficit of the season 14 points not even 20 not 25 14 points and to me that's kind of 
that's a good and bad thing because UVA has been so dominant. They made the best teams look so stupid. They made UNC put up 43 points. Now, UNC, as we saw this weekend, couldn't get hot and cold at times, but that's still one of the best teams. That's a two-seed right there. 43 points. I mean, and they let they let Clemson. Clemson just routed Auburn, and Clemson could not score in the second half against UVA when they played. Look up that box score. It's actually pretty comical. Like, UVA was dominating teams this entire season, and then it's like you get, and we predicted it on the podcast. No, I will not. I'm not going to take credit. I will not say I thought UMBC was going to be the team. I thought Arizona was going to be the team, and that one backfired even more. We'll get to that later. But we did say, like, the pro- the problem, and I saw a column about it, and it said that Syracuse's slow, uh, Virginia's slow play, play style is eventually what cost them. And I could not disagree with that more because, as we saw, Syracuse – Barely scored 50 points, and they dethroned Michigan State, one of the top teams in the country. It's not the slow play style. It's just the lack of scoring. And Syracuse has that too. Do not get me wrong. They caught a break that they were able – that they caught Michigan State on a really bad day. Like, we've seen Michigan State light it up. We saw them light it up against UNC, the PK-80. Like, they're capable of lighting it up, and they just didn't. And so Syracuse was able to get away with that, and that was my theory on UVA. Like, they're going to run into a team that's going to catch fire. And I think Syracuse, whether it's – Duke or probably Kansas in the next round or however far they get they're going to run into a team that's going to throw up 70 points on them and I don't know if they're going to be able to respond UMBC threw up 74 points on Virginia they couldn't even come close and that's just my thing like it's not the slow play style it's just that you need to be able to score and that was our thing that we had that was my thing my theory that I had Virginia losing in the Sweet 16 because I didn't think they could score with Arizona I did not think they would not be able to score with UMBC but UMBC caught fire. They put up 50 points in the second half. They barely missed, and UVA was jacking up threes, and Tony Bennett, as great of a coach as he was, he could not get those guys to go back to their original play style. I mean, we saw in the whole season moving the ball, attacking, driving a kick, playing great fundamental basketball, and then you catch them all pulling up from three with eight minutes left because they were flustered. They didn't know how to react in-game, and that's the crazy thing about March. It's like, ticking and you and UVA's head it's like are we really going to be the first one seed to lose to a 16 seed then that's constantly replaying in their head as they're losing by 20 with eight minutes left and that's just the thing about March it's so mental man like you got to be prepared and locked in the entire game because that's the second you check out the, the opponent's going to take advantage of you we saw Cincinnati check out for just a second and they let Nevada go on a 10-0 run that cut the lead from 22 to 12 and even Gave them the mindset that they were in this game. Cincinnati was dominating the entire game, but that they took it all. They took their foot off the gas. Had a couple bad turnovers, lazy passes, and they let Nevada back in that game. And it ended up coming to end. It haunted them and ended their season. So it's just you can't. And UVA, man, like you can't revert from your play style no matter who it's against in March because everyone is ready to pounce on your mistakes. So that's my theory on that UVA game. I mean. I feel horrible for the guys. They had an amazing season, but it's just you gotta execute in March. You can't. You can't. Your littlest slip up is gonna cost you, even against UMBC. And I also want to point out that I was surprised, and not that it isn't a big accomplishment, because obviously this is the first one to ever beat a 16 seed, so that's a huge deal. But like, I was surprised it took this long, honestly, because we've gotten accustomed to those 2-15 to matchups. There's been four of them since 2012. 2012, you had Missouri and Duke go down. The following year, you had Georgetown go down to famous Dunk City. And then last year, we two years ago, we had Michigan State go down. So we've kind of got accustomed to those 
15 matchups and every year we go through this thing with the committee where it's like oh how is that 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 team could easily be a one like why are they a two and I don't even know how they see the mid-majors so like there hasn't there's not that big of a discrepancy between the 15s and the 16s and the ones and the twos so I was surprised it took this long um I did not think it was going to happen in this fashion losing by 20 getting completely dominated but if it were to happen to a one seed this is the play style of a team that it would happen to a team that's stagnant on offense doesn't consistently score the ball at a high level and kind of relies on their defense because anyone can get hot in March so moving on from that UVA thing but I didn't want to talk about it for too long, but I had to address it. Obviously, biggest upset in college basketball history. Everyone's going to be talking about it, so I had to give my takes on it. So moving on down the south, um, nothing crazy in the first round until we get to Arizona. Creighton, Kansas State was not that nothing special, and Kentucky was able to get by Davidson. But that Arizona game, um, that's just another team. And for me, Watching that Arizona game, you could just tell they had no sense of urgency. And, like, one of these years, I'll stop trusting Arizona, honestly. I think this is the third straight year I picked them to go to the Final Four. They never show up in March. And I don't know. I don't know if that's a byproduct of Sean Miller just not getting his guys ready because Alonzo Trier and DeAndre Aiden and Raleigh Elkins looked like they would have walked off the court with 10 minutes left with no shame whatsoever. They did not look they want, looked like they wanted to be there. And a Buffalo team, they let Buffalo throw up 90 they out-hustled them, they made more shots, and they just looked like they wanted it more. And as an Arizona team who's battled so much, like that's completely unacceptable as players. Like You have to take more responsibility and have some pride in your school and your team. Like You can't go out like that. And for me, coming up on the draft, like DeAndre Aiden, special talent, I don't think it affects him, but I think that game affects Alonzo Trier's draft stock. I've been very high on him. He's been very efficient the whole season. But like for him to have that bad of body language, be so out of it in your what could be your final NCAA game, I think it's a bad look for his character. And I think Arizona, even though I, I was telling someone I will never pick them again in the NCAA tournament, I think it's going to be a long time before they, at least a couple of years before they even get back to it. I mean, you lose your top three scores, your other two graduate, and you had – a recruiting class that at the time had four top 40 players that have all one by one decommitted. So you're bringing back, you're losing your top five scores. You're not bringing in any talent and you're going to be under that FBI probe microscope for the entire season or however long it takes until they finally come up with a punishment, gather all that information. So I think it's going to be a couple rough years for Arizona fans. And I think that Buffalo game was pretty much, a preview of what's going to happen not that I think they're going to get rolled by mid-majors but just of like the lack of effort and not caring and not pouring it out for the game like we saw UMBC that team is a lot less skilled than a team like Arizona but if Arizona had half the fight of that team they'd be in the sweet 16 with ease so moving on down that bracket one of the ep most epic games of the entire weekend we had that Miami Loyola Chicago game and Miami really, they had this game in the bag. Raleigh Alkins had that turnover where he all he had to do was just give a hard rip and get by that defender into the wide open court. Could have ran more seconds down, then they would have fouled him. He ends up getting it swiped off his own leg, and then they end up fouling him about 15 seconds later, and he missed the front end of the one and one And that's just things you can't do in March, like especially against a Loyola Chicago team who we talked about as one of the best probably the best mid-major in this entire tournament and moved up to that 11 line which is usually reserved for those 
bubble teams who just get in from the high major conferences, they were able to move up to that 11 seed in a mid-major conference. So we knew they were legit, and Miami just can't afford to make those mistakes down the stretch. But credit Loyola Chicago, they executed. And for me, the biggest play of that game, don't get me wrong, that, that game winner was great, but the execution on their last play with about a minute left, they drew up a great back screen play for their best shooter, Custer, got a wide open look and tied up the game. So that was, for me, that was picture perfect how it, how it describes how mid-majors win this tournament. And it's when they're locked in and they're running their plays and they're just out executing these high major teams who think they can get by with just talent. I mean, they caught, as Miami, you got to be ready for that. That's their best shooter all season. You've seen him on the scouting report for about a week now and you let him get wide open off a back screen. Like Miami, they did not execute in the last minute, and it cost them. So, But great shot. Credit Loyola Chicago for executing down the stretch. Then Tennessee took care of Wright State. Nevada with one of their first epic comeback of the weekend against Texas, a 12-point comeback, and Cincinnati moving on against Georgia State. Moving on to the round of 32, probably the ugliest basketball game I've ever watched all the way through with that UMBC-Kansas State game. But you couldn't turn it off. You could never, you couldn't miss anything that UMBC was gonna do. And if you did, you felt guilty of it as a college basketball fan. But a hard fought game, and UMBC just they just didn't have it like they did Friday night. I don't know if anyone expected them to, but the shots they hit on Friday, they just weren't falling. But credit them, they never gave up, battled hard to the end, and left it all out on the floor. They're gonna have no regrets and congrats to them on still making history. Then moving on down, Kentucky-Buffalo. Buffalo hung around for a little bit, but Kentucky ends up pulling away just based on talent. Shea Gilgis-Alexander continues an amazing postseason campaign. Look for him to move up into the lottery. I really like him as a, as a point guard at the next level. He's smooth, crafty, smart, and very efficient, extremely efficient. And then Loyola-Chicago's second buzzer beater of the tournament. They got a friend, Custer got a friendly roll on a mid-range pull-up. And Loyola Chicago was kind of just hanging around that like two, three point lead for the last three minutes of the game. Everyone was hope I was hoping they'd pull it out. I didn't have Tennessee in my bracket, so why not root for the underdog? Gotta show Sister Jean some love in Loyola Chicago. And you just wondered if Tennessee was ever gonna break through, and they did. They went up one with that and one, but Loyola Chicago had an answer, and Custer with a clutch shot. They're moving on to the Sweet 16. So congrats to them on a great run, and hopefully it's not done yet. And then moving on, this was probably outside of the Michigan game for me because how can you not love that buzzer beater? We'll get to that later. But this was probably the craziest game that I watched the entire tournament because, yeah, that UMBC game was crazy, but it kind of sunk into you for a while because they were up 20 since the 10-minute mark. Like this Nevada-Cincinnati game, I was just – I honestly, I'm going to be honest with you guys. Like I had it on. I was kind of on my phone, not really paying that much attention to it. And then I see they're down 22, so I start watching a little bit. And that was the moment when who was mentally locked in kind of just the f- switch just flipped between the two teams. Like Cincinnati had been dominating all day, dominating the offensive glass, not a foot on the gas. And Nevada looked dead as a team. I mean, they went on a really long scoring drought. And even when they got that bucket, one of the Martin twins was complaining for a foul and they ended up getting a tee. They got a technical foul, so it seemed like nothing could go right for Nevada, and Cincinnati let it, let it get to their head, and as we talked about before, they checked out for just a minute. That's all it took, and Nevada went on that 10-0 run, two big threes from Kendall Stevens, 
who I think is maybe not a first-round pick. I have him at number 30 on my NBA big board just because he's 6'7", one of the best shooters in the country, has NBA stroke and an NBA body. So I don't know if he's going to end up being a first-round pick when it's all said and done, but definitely a second-round talent. And two big threes from him, and that's all it took is that 10-point run to make them feel like they could be in the game. And then the second part of our upset theory, like the execution down the stretch, Cincinnati, their best player fouled out Cumberland, and they let Nevada go on a 10-2 run without him. They could not get any offense without Cumberland. They looked all out of sorts, and Nevada took advantage. They made plays down the stretch. I think I, – I can't I can't keep the Martin twins straight, honestly. One of the Martin twins with a crazy pull-up jump – not a pull-up, but kind of just rising up over his defender, shook, shook off the reach-in foul earlier in the play – and with a clutch three to tie it up, and then they got the roll on that put back, and they really just executed when in the final minutes, and then came with a huge defensive stop, and that was probably one of the craziest basketball finishes I've ever watched. I saw something today that it said on ESPN the win percentage was 99.9 for Cincinnati at the time of when they were up 22 nothing, and that is the highest it ever been for a team that loses. Not even the Falcons, and they're up 28-3. It had never been 99.9. And if you know me, you know I don't trust those ESPN stats. I mean, the guys that part of my take that I listen to call them sabermetrics, where it's random stats that ESPN somehow comes up with. I don't, I don't know how they do it. I don't really trust them. But if it says 99.9%, you got to take that with something and embrace how ridiculous that is because they just – the complete – flip of the switch for Nevada and I personally don't think they're runs yet because you come back against Texas down 12 and 22 against Cincinnati a two seed like you've got some fight in you and I they I don't think their season ends in the sweet 16 honestly and then moving on down finally to the west we had nothing really special in the west that Ohio State game against South Dakota State on Thursday was a great game Told you we talked about Mike Down, the dominator, in our preview. Lived up to the hype. That game was a great shootout in the end. Ohio State just made more plays. South Dakota State really messed up, fouling on two three-point shots. That kind of sealed the game. And they unfortunately let that one slip away. But that was still a great game of basketball. And then Houston-San Diego State was just – Rob Gray took over that game. There's basically no – there's nothing else to say about it. He had 39 points. And I think 23 of the team's 28 second half points. So basically just an unreal showing from him. Props to him. He's a great player. And I personally, I tweeted this out during the Michigan game. Like I think Rob Gray is going to be an NBA scoring guard coming off the bench for as long as he wants. I mean, guy can score with ease from any from anywhere he wants. He's got the pull-up jumper. He's got the elevation. He's crafty inside, and he's a killer. So he took over that game and had a great move at the end the game-winning layup for them to move on to the second round. Um, and nothing else crazy in this region in the first round. And then we get to that Xavier-Florida State game, another collapse. And that was also Xavier. They had that game the entire time. They are up 10-12 to 12 ever since the start of the second half. They kind of pulled away. And then it just they let Florida State get back into the game. J.P. McCurry, they had to sit in with that foul trouble. And that really came back to hurt them because – He's probably their best. He was their best offensive player that night. Trayvon Blue was having a tough night. So I, just that split second where, and especially it's in basketball as always, and especially in March, if you give your opponent that split second where you check out and let them believe that they belong in this game, 
then it's going to come back to bite you. And Xavier had that game in the bag, and they pretty much choked it away between the turnovers and offensive allowing the offensive rebounds down the stretch. Florida State just wanted it more, and they executed better, and they pulled off that comeback and are moving on to the Sweet 16. That's Xavier's. And we talked about Xavier being kind of like the Raptors, where we refuse to embrace their them as a championship threat. That theory was proved true. They fall in the round of 32 again as a top two as a top two seed. So it's a tough break for J.P. McCurr and Trayvon Blewett to say great careers. Then South Dakota, and then we had that Ohio State Gonzaga game, good game, um, back and really back and forth, high level basketball. Gonzaga, I mean Zach Norvell has been great for them in this tournament, and they're getting really good guard play. I think they're going to be really dangerous down the stretch, and they threw up 90 points and are able to move on. And then probably, maybe I'm biased, maybe I'm not, I don't know. I'm curious to see how you guys feel about this, because it was definitely my favorite game of the weekend. Jordan Poole, man, I've been saying to put him in this entire season. I love his swag. You heard Coach Beeline, the overdose of swag. That's all he is. Great kid, always smiling. Has the swag with the sh- he's the short shorts look, the shooting sleeve. Get kick and shoot from anywhere in the gym, and he's instant offense. Calls himself the microwave. For those of you who are watching since the beginning of the game, he got in the game, had a quick five, and just overdose of confidence. And I don't know if you guys saw, but he basically hit that same exact shot at La Lumere in high school, in the Dix Nationals high school tournament at the end of the third quarter. He caught it about five feet behind the high school line. And not as deep, so not as deep, but the same caught on the right wing, gave the leg kick out, fell to the ground as the ball went in, and crazy deja vu for him. Congrats to him on a big shot. He deserves it. Kid was all smiles, as I'm sure you guys saw on social media, and just an epic shot. And as a Michigan fan, those times usually, those shots usually go against you, not for you. You guys remember, I mean, the only two memorable Michigan moments where it's gone for me is this shot and the Trey Burke shot, which are both epic and probably some of the greatest sports moments in my life. But then you guys also remember that Aaron Harrison buzzer, be- buzzer beater in the Elite Eight, like just some stuff. I mean, that Michigan State, Michigan fumble, all the guy had to do was punt it away, and he ends up fumbling it. Michigan State returns it for a touchdown. I was at that game. So I, f- I feel really lucky that Michigan finally gets one of these breaks, and they're still dancing. And then moving on down, we have that Texas A&M-UNC game, which caught a lot of people by surprise. And I think UNC just completely underestimated their opponent. Texas A&M had a lot of struggles throughout the season. At one point, we mentioned they're like tied for second to last in the SEC. But in November, early December, this team looked like a team that could go to the distance. I mean, they got really good players. You got DJ Hogue, who's probably going to be an NBA player someday. And then the two bigs down there, Tyler Davis and Robert Williams, both really good athletes. And they just dominated UNC. I mean, UNC was not prepared for those bigs down there. And I think, personally, I was on the train that this was a down year for UNC. I think it was an overachievement for the program that they even got a two-seed in the first place and took down Duke twice. They had a great year, but we've seen this before. When Joel Berry's cold, the whole team is cold. And he can be a really streaky shooter, and he just didn't have his have a day. And Sadly, it cost him his career. He had a great one. It was a great run for him, national champion, but he just didn't bring it. And Texas A&M, I don't like that matchup for my Wolverines. Texas A&M is playing really good basketball right now. So we'll have to see what happens on Thursday. But I don't know. I think it's going to be a tough one for my Wolverines. Then moving on to the East, which is 
the most calm bracket. They have we're ta- I was talking with someone and there's out of the 16 basically so a chalk bracket is when you fill out all the higher seeds. So if you were to fill out a chalk bracket, your whole 16 would be 1 and 4 and 2 and 3. And out of the 16 teams, only 7 of them are in the top 4 seeds and this region has 3 of them. So you can tell that one didn't really have too much drama going on with it. Purdue took care of business. Um, but we did have a great game in the first round with Wichita State and Marshall. Marshall Guard, I don't know if you guys are watching, John Elmore put an absolute show, pulling up from everywhere, ton of confidence, and he just scorched Wichita State. And Wichita State, we talked about, I talked about them on my preview podcast, just not liking the American Conference at all. Of all the things, my bracket is not doing so well to that right now. I think I'm about the 45th percentile in ESPN, but I did lose my champion and my runner-up, so I only have 300 points remaining. So that's not it's not looking good for my bracket. But one of the things I did stress on the preview podcast is that I was very anti-American conference, and with none of their teams in the Sweet 16, Cincinnati blowing the lead as a two-seed and Wichita State losing to Marshall theory is proven true so we did I hope I still provide you guys with some good insight despite telling you guys to trust Arizona and Michigan State we'll get to that later but American Conference not a good showing but credits to John Elmore he played a hell of a game and then also nothing else special Florida took care of St. Bonaventure pretty easily Texas Tech and SF Austin that was a great game great energy Texas Tech fans had a huge presence in both of their first two games, and they end up taking care of business, moving on to Sweet 16. They look really good. And Colin Sexton took over late in that game against Virginia Tech, hitting a crazy turnaround, fading jumper. As that was kind of the dagger for them, but they end up playing, a, playing going to play Villanova and just saw Villanova at the wrong time. And when Villanova's hot from three, they're probably the best team in the country, hands down. And in that second half, they just caught fire and ran Alabama out of the gym. And I'm really looking forward to that Villanova-West Virginia Virginia matchup. It's kind of a clash of the styles. West Virginia likes to turn you up, pressure you. I mean, Jalen Brunson's going to be in for a day. We saw what they did to Trey Young earlier in the year. They're going to pressure him. But this Villanova team, they like to get in their half court. They like to run their half court offense. They're not slow tempo, but they pace their game. Jalen Brunson is a great feel for the game. I don't think he'll get sped up by the pressure, but I think early on you could see him getting a little rattled, just getting acclimated to it because you cannot prepare for anything like that West Virginia defense. And then Purdue was able to hang on despite losing Isaac Haas for probably the rest of the tournament. Butler, almost, they had a chance. Um, They hung in there, but Vince Edwards just with a huge block chase down block which would have tied it Butler would have tied it up at 73 all and Vince Edwards just never giving up on the play that's a senior I mean if Buffalo hits if Butler makes that layup game goes into overtime you never know what could happen that could be the last game of his career but he was not willing to let that happen huge chase down block and then another senior Dakota Mathias knocking down the dagger three and so they're moving on to the sweet 16 this everyone's going to probably talk about that these are the two two of the best games I had said in my preview I'd really want to see Texas Tech play Purdue because they're probably two of the more underrated teams in the country. Purdue doesn't have Isaac Haas, so they're a little bit shorthanded, but I still think Carson Edwards is probably going to be the best player on this court, so you always have a chance when you have the best player on your side. And 
that's going to be a really interesting guard matchup with Keenan Evans and Carson Edwards, two high-flying, high I mean, scoring at will guards, just getting to the rim, knocking down the three. Really fun to watch, and both prolific guards going to be going at it. So that should be a great matchup in the Sweet 16. But, again, nothing special in this region. Their higher seats kind of took care of business. And then moving on down to the Midwest region, I mean, there's not much to say with Michigan State other than I think for two reasons that they lost. One, they couldn't hit anything. They could not hit a shot for their life. Miles Bridges could not make anything. McQuaid was getting clean looks. He couldn't hit anything. Langford looked like he was rushing every shot. But I'm going to put a lot of this on Tom Izzo because everyone knows the main way you beat the zone is you got to put a threat at the high post. And if you watch Kansas play Syracuse early in the year, they threw their athletic two-guard, LeGerald Vick, at the high post, and he created tons of problems for them. He could shoot that mid-range. He could attack the rim. He had good enough vision where he could swing the ball or dump it down to the post. But for some reason, I don't know why, when you have Jaron Jackson, who's 6'11", with a smooth touch from the free throw line, and Tom Izzo just did not want to play him at all. Not even like he was in the game, not at the high post. Like, he wasn't in the game, period. And I don't understand that. He's probably the best, second best player on their team or best player. He's definitely the number one draft prospect on their team, and he's getting about 22 minutes a game, which to me is unfathomable. He's 6'11". He can stretch the floor. And even when they needed a three, they still wouldn't put him in. I don't understand. He had sixth-year senior Ben Carter in there who had bounced around from UNLV and now to Michigan State, and he just wasn't a threat. I mean, he's averaging .6 points per game, and he wasn't a threat in that high post. I don't know. I mean, there's a million guys I would have put in that high post before I put Ben Carter there. I would have put Jaron Jackson in there. I would have put Langford in there. I mean, Langford catches in there. That's his bread and butter, that mid-range. So you got to have a threat in the middle of the, the middle of the zone, and that's how you beat Syracuse. And as we mentioned before, Syracuse is able to get by with their slow-paced style. I mean, Syracuse, I was watching the game with my dad, and they were Syracuse was at 50, and it was like you knew if they got to 55, they were going to win the game just because – they play that good of defense, and it's so it's it's hard to watch Syracuse basketball. I'm gonna be honest. We said this in the preview, and they were able to actually get three wins in the NCAA tournament. I think it always seems that Syracuse Syracuse only moves on when they're like it's debatable whether they got in or not. If you remember that one year that they got in when they shouldn't have, they ended up making it to the Final Four. Granted, they did have to play the 15 Georgia State, and then caught. Uh, number 11 seed Gonzaga and basically have to had to play 10 minutes of good basketball to go on a crazy run and beat UVA to go to the final four but they I mean that that year everyone was complaining about them getting in they end up going on a run this year everyone was complaining about them getting in had to go to the first four beat a good St. Bonaventure team then got away with that TCU game and then just really gave Michigan State all it could handle and I do not think I don't know how he didn't prepare for the zone, but I don't think Tom Izzo prepared for it, was ready for it. I don't know how. Syracuse hasn't played any other defense since Jim Bam has been their coach. I don't know how you can't be prepared for that. And I don't know how you don't put Jaron Jackson at the high post. But for some reason, he left Jaron Jackson on the bench, and Michigan State really struggled to penetrate the zone. They struggled to get inside of it, and they ended up just swinging the ball around, jacking threes, which is not their strength. And which really isn't any team strength. I mean, that's exactly what Jim Payham wants you to do. 
is just swing it around, take threes, and they're going to give you a hard closeout and secure that rebound. So Syracuse is able to move on. A lot credit, a lot of credit to their coach Jim Beheim. He and what I really like about him is a lot of coaches don't do this and they're scared to do it because a lot of basketball is situational. Like you, you don't always prepare for it. I, I mean, you prepare for something some way and then something happens and you got to switch up your game plan mid mid game. And not that Jim Beheim doesn't make adjustments, but he always sticks to his morals. He never switches out of that zone. For good or for bad, I mean, I know a couple of Syracuse fans that want to kill him sometimes when everyone's just lighting it up, shooting threes over the zone, and he just won't switch out of it. But credits to him, he told a reporter that if he's up three, he's going to foul no matter what. He ended up doing it twice. It paid off for him both times, and he stuck to his coaching values and got that win. So credits to him. I tweeted right after the game that Jim Beheim just simply outcoached Tom Izzo, and that was probably – the headline of the store of the game for me. So credits to him and he's leading the Syracuse Orange to another sweet 16 where they await another blue blood in the Duke Blue Devils. But for me, I mean, nothing crazy in this region. All the higher seeds took care of business in the first round with the exception of Syracuse. And I just kind of want to talk about Clemson for a second because I apologize. I don't know if there are any Clemson fans listening to this. I don't think there are any Clemson players listening to this, but I apologize for any disrespect I gave you guys. Nikki and I penciled in that New Mexico State, along with pretty much the rest of the country, for them to beat Clemson and Clemson hold on to New Mexico State and then absolutely rolled Auburn. They're up 40 at one point and just made a joke of the SEC regular season champions. So Clemson is playing hot basketball right now. They're confident. And I think they heard everyone talking about that New Mexico State was that locked 12-5 upset. I think they heard everyone, and they were motivated. They locked in. They prepped for the game. And at the end of the day, they took care of business. So this year, another year, which is rare. We had no 5-12s. Um, I don't know. We talked about this. I don't know if that was a product of the mid-majors not being as good because some of the teams didn't win their conference as expected, like Vermont. I don't know if that was the case or the five just came to play this year, but that's another rare occasion. We had that a couple years ago, and it like broke a four-year streak with no 5-12s, but this year Clemson takes care of New Mexico State and then absolutely rolls Auburn. So they're playing great basketball, and that should be a great game between Kansas and Clemson in the Sweet 16. And then So that's it for our recap, but I'm going to give you guys – I'm going to get a second chance at the bracket – I don't know how this is going to go, but I'm going to do my second chance Sweet 16 bracket live on the podcast right now. Um, I don't think ESPN set up a thing for this, so I'm just going to get it on record right here. And hopefully it's better than the one right now. And listen, I think there are endless possibilities to the rest of this tournament. As we've seen, no one can predict it, especially in that South region. I think Loyola, Chicago, and Nevada are both that Cinderella that are never ready for their run to end. But I'm going to give it my best shot here. So first, in that Kansas State-Kentucky game, I'm picking Kentucky to move on just based off sheer talent. We watch Kansas State. They're not very good. We watch, I watched them against UMBC. I mean, they cannot really score. They were struggling to score against UMBC, and UMBC plays their hearts out. Don't get me wrong, but they're not nearly as, led, as athletic, as fast, as long as this Kentucky team is. And I think Kansas State has been very mediocre all year. And I think they're going to have a really tough time competing with this Kentucky team. So I'm going to pick Kentucky to move on. 
and Loyola Chicago, Nevada. This is the game I'm probably most excited for in the Sweet 16. Due to um, that's an unpopular opinion probably to have. I'm sure everyone's looking forward to this Villanova-West Virginia game. Don't get me wrong, a lot of good games, but I'm really looking forward to these two Cinderella teams going at it. And it's because I think they're both legit. Like, we had talked about Nevada playing at the level of a 5 or a 6 earlier in the year. They lose their point guard. They go on a little skid. But now one of the Martin twins takes over the point, and they finally get things rolling again. They're playing great basketball right now. And then how can you not love Loyola Chicago? Two Cinderella games. I mean, just executing two game winners. They look like they had the magic to them. So I think that's going to be a great game. I'm picking Nevada to move on just because I think you look at their roster and I think they have three NBA players. I don't know when they'll get drafted or this year, next year, whenever, but I think Kendall Stevens and both the Martin Twins are two NBA pros are all NBA prospects. Martin Twins listed at six seven. They score it from anywhere. They can handle the ball. They read make great reads coming off ball screens and they know how to lead a team. So I think they have three NBA players, so I'm going to pick them to move on and play Kentucky in the Elite Eight. And as tempted as I am to pick Nevada, because I do think they can do it, I think this team is what March is all about, always believing, rallying as a team, and never stopping believing. But I just think this Kentucky team is playing their best basketball right now, and they're just too talented. So I'm going to pick Kentucky to move on to San Antonio. And isn't that crazy? Kentucky basically went from getting the worst draw imaginable, having to play a tough 12 seed in Davidson, then everyone thought Arizona, then UVA, and then maybe Cincinnati, and they have to play Davidson, Buffalo, Kansas State, and then either Loyola, Chicago, or Nevada. I think Nevada, but either one of those two. And that's their path to the Final Four. Pretty crazy what March can do. And then moving on to the West, Florida State and Gonzaga. I think Gonzaga should take care of this game against Florida State. Florida State is playing really well. They really play great team basketball. They crash the they crash the boards hard, but in the end, I just think Gonzaga's guard play is through the roof right now. They're getting three. They have three guards giving them really consistent scoring and great defense on both ends. Then they have some really good bigs down low, and I just think Gonzaga is way too balanced. They've been here before. They've been on the stage, and I think they're going to take care of business and move on. Then going down to Michigan, Texas A&M, you know, I really don't like this matchup for Michigan. Like, I'll go on the record and say I'd rather them almost play UNC a second time because I know that UNC is really hot and cold, and I think if we were to get a second, second shot at them, I think we'd make the most of it. We'd go back and look at the film. But Texas A&M is really hard to prepare for just because they're not the same team that they were even against Providence. Like, this team just got so much better with that win against UNC that we saw them at their max potential and if you want to look at their film from SEC play you're going to look you're basically looking at a completely different team so I think Michigan I want to pick them really really bad but I just think Texas A&M has that fire with them right now I hope I'm wrong but I'm going to pick Texas A&M to upset Michigan and move on to Elite Eight and face Gonzaga I once again I hope I'm wrong I hope that buzzer beater sparks Michigan. I try not to be biased on my podcast and my articles, but I mean, deep down in March, I got to show a little bit of it, but I think Texas A&M is going to move on and play Gonzaga. And then for the same reasons I have Gonzaga beating Florida State, I think they're going to move on and beat Texas A&M. I just think Gonzaga is way too consistent. They're way too balanced. And I think Texas A&M is really 
is really a sporadic team in terms of scoring and defense. Like they'll turn it up when they really want to, but in March you can't pick and choose when you want to flip that switch, as we can tell. And so I think Gonzaga, I think Mark Few's ready to avenge that title. We'll see if he can get all the way back, but I think the Zags return to San, go back to the Final Four, and I think they will meet Kentucky in San Antonio. So moving on up to the East, we have Villanova, West Virginia. Um, I actually got this Sweet 16 right. Con- I mean, contrary to the rest of my bracket, I got this Sweet 16 all right. So I'm gonna still pick. I'm gonna stick with my Villanova pick to move on over West Virginia, just because I love the poise of Jalen Brunson and Macau Bridges, and I think you got great. You got scoring with Dante Divincenzo coming off the bench. Freshman Omari Spellman is coming into his role as a scoring four, and they're firing on all cylinders right now. They're getting great contributions from everyone. So I think, you know, as grueling as that West Virginia defense can be I think Nova survives and moves on to go to the Elite Eight and I'm going to switch my pick for this one I originally had Purdue moving on and a big part of it is that Isaac Haas injury Isaac Haas is no matter if he's only playing for 24 minutes a game he's a dominant factor and he's not really replaceable harms gave him some quality minutes on against Butler but I don't think he isn't dominant as he's not as dominant as Haas is in the paint on the boards and just a presence like Harms is tall but I mean we talked about Haas being built like a house like Harms is no house I don't know if you saw him he's definitely not a house so I think I'm picking Texas Tech to move on I think Texas Tech's playing with a really big chip on their shoulder they got a lot of swagger on them and I just think they're playing really good basketball at the right time. And I think Purdue is going to be a little bit lost without Haas because they rely on they rely on him so much to establish that post a post presence. Because I mean, basketball fans know once you establish that post presence and make a couple guys collapse on him, that opens up wide open threes for your shooters like Dakota Mathias and Carson Edwards, and just makes the game flow a lot easier if you establish that inside-out game. But without Haas, I think they're, a lot of their offense, they're going to be looking for something that's just not there. So I think I have Texas Tech moving on. And as great as I've been talking about Texas Tech, and as well as I think they're playing, I think Jay Wright and his team is just way too determined to avenge that early tournament loss against Wisconsin and get back to the national championship game where they think they belong. I kind of said that way too soon, but we'll see later. I think Villanova is going to move on against Texas Tech and go to the final four. And then moving on to the Midwest, we have Kansas and Clemson. And then we have Syracuse and Duke. Clemson, again, just like Texas Tech for me, playing great basketball. I want to pick them, but to me, this Kansas team is just too good. They're too balanced. I mean, everyone's starting to come into their role. You have Malik Newman finally coming into the player we thought he was. Silvio D'Souza, the mid-transfer in. He uh, During October, December, he, I actually saw him playing for IMG Academy. And he was able to enroll early like the football players do. They are able to enroll during the second semester. And he was actually granted immediate eligibility from the NCAA. And he's finally coming into his own. Had a double-double the other night. And so he's giving them a great spark off the bench. I think they're going to move on against Clemson. And then moving on down, you've got a battle of the zone teams in Syracuse and Duke. But I just think Duke is way too much offensive firepower for Syracuse to keep up with scoring. I think Duke's offense can get a little stag- will get a little stagnant at times. 
I don't think this game will be a blowout for them. I think they're definitely going to have to grind it out. But I think in the end, I mean, you're all, the offense of Trent, Grace now, and Bagley, Carter, Trey Duvall, when he wants to show up, he's want to show up in that first round game. So hopefully he brings that perimeter threat that he somehow established in that first round game, randomly established. He decided that he wanted to be able to shoot threes all of a sudden. So, I mean, if Trey Duvall is hitting threes, I think it's going to be a long day for Syracuse. I think it's going to be a long day for their zone regardless with the shooters that they have. I mean, every all five of those guys can space the floor. So I have Duke moving on, I th- but I'm, I'd be stupid to count out Syracuse and say that they're not going to give Duke a game. So I think that's definitely one you guys should tune into. It's going to be a great game. And then moving to the Elite Eight game, Kansas and Duke, probably the most firepower we've seen going head-to-head with all these upsets. You know, we haven't gotten... We haven't gotten to see like all the matchups we thought we'd see with that. We thought we'd get Michigan State Duke and kind of just these ones and twos that we're not going to see anymore. I mean, Xavier UNC. So hopefully this Kansas Duke game comes true and we're able to see this. I mean, I think it's going to be a great battle between the two teams. And I think Duke is going to move on just because I think their talent is finally clicking at the right time. And I think this team reminds me a lot of that 2015 team because they have that senior. I mean, you remember that 2015 team had senior Quinn Cook, and he was the heart and soul of that team. I think it's the same dynamic with Grayson Allen. And the irony of that is Quinn Cook actually kind of mentored Grayson Allen. When Grayson was a freshman, Quinn Cook was a senior. Kind of Grayson was quiet, but Quinn Cook kind of let helped him evolve out of that shell and into the leader he is today. So that's kind of ironic there, but I think – Grayson kind of brings the same thing that Quinn Cook did to that 2015 team. And then you have the fabulous freshmen that you had on that 2015 team. You had Okafor, Justice Winslow, Tyus Jones, and then, of course, Grace now has coming out party in the Final Four. Right now, you look around, it's kind of that same thing. Like four freshmen around one senior, how they're going to rally. And I think they're going to rally against Kansas and go on to the Final Four and see Villanova. And then back over to the other side. With Kentucky and Gonzaga, and these two Final Four teams, these two Final Four games, if they do happen, probably the hardest to pick, honestly, because with these teams, you don't know what team is going to show up. For Gonzaga, I know what team is going to show up. You're going to have a consistent inside-out scoring team that's going to be efficient. They're going to be well coached. They're not going to turn the ball over too much. But with Kentucky, like you can either get the Kentucky team that you want to see. With all the freshmen firing on all cylinders, Shade Gilders Alexander getting to the paint, kicking it out, Kevin Knox hitting threes, Wendy Gabriel hitting threes, Quade Green doing his thing, you know, everyone chipping in and doing their role for the team. You want to see that team, but you could easily see the Kentucky team that lost by 20 points in multiple SEC games. So I don't know. I'm going to pick Kentucky to move on just because I think they have more talent and I think that talent is going to prevail because they're really starting to click as a team. And I think in that game, you're going to have Shea Gilgis-Alexander and Kevin Knox are going to be the two most dominant players on the floor. They love the big stage, so I expect nothing else from them at the Final Four. And I'm picking Kentucky to move on to the National Championship game. And then in the Final Four, I mean, this these are probably, to me, the two best teams in the country all along, Villanova and Duke. I really hope this happens because this would be – unreal game but I'm gonna pick 
I mean, I don't want to do it because I know everyone in the country is doing it. And when everyone in the country does it, by the way, I just wanted to point out that I did have the exact same Final Four as a couple of other, at least three other ESPN analysts. And the same, I had the same national championship game as Charles Barkley. And I texted one of my, I was texting one of my camp friends and he's like, oh, you know, you're screwed when you have the same bracket as Charles Barkley and ESPN analysts. And so that's kind of why I don't want to do this Villanova pick because it's March and when everyone else has it, it's never true. So I just wanted to distance myself from the fact that like it's only Jake in the pain doesn't know how to pick March. No one knows how to pick March. And I'm not, it's not a cop out for me. I'm not making any excuses, but I just want to let you guys know that I, you shouldn't stop tuning in just because I got, I got the Final Four wrong. But so in this game, I'm going to pick Villanova because I just think they truly are the better team. And I think Duke is going to give them all they can handle just based on those two bigs down low, Carter and Bagley, two great NBA prospects. But in the end, for me, Villanova is just too balanced, too poised. They've been there before. They're not all freshmen. I mean, Duke, like outside of Grace now, none of these, none of the kids have been in that stage before. And that's big. I mean, you have Macau Bridges and Jalen Brunson who are part of that national championship team. DiVincenzo, part of that national championship team. They've witnessed what it takes to finish the job. So I'm picking Villanova to move on and see Kentucky in the national championship game. And I'm going to pick Villanova to win the national championship against Kentucky. Just because I think, I mean, for the same reasons I picked them to win, I don't I hate sounding repetitive, but it's for the same reasons that I picked them to go this far all along. They have the balance. They have the inside out scoring. They can get hot from three. But I mean, I think that is one thing for you guys to keep an eye on. Like, Villanova in the games they've lost this year and they lost a couple bad games in the Big East and that's what kind of scared me away from picking them in my original bracket is that when they get cold from three like they're very very vulnerable but the reason why that didn't scare me to pick them over Duke is because Duke is the exact same way in that they do have Bagley and Carter on the inside but they're really only effective as an offensive unit when they're firing and hitting their threes Grace Down and Gary Trent both very very streaky shooters so that Villanova Duke game I personally think go either way but for me the safe the better pick is Villanova because you're always going to know what you're getting out of them even though they can be streaky from three they have the experience and to me experience in March is a huge thing and I think that prevails in the end and so I think Villanova I think they're going to go through a couple shooting droughts and it's going to be really interesting to see how they respond. But I personally believe that they can they can overcome anything in March just because they've been there before and they know what it takes. They've seen Jalen Brunson has seen Ryan Archidiakono lead his team to national championship. Omari Spellman has seen Chris Jenkins hit the outside three and be that stretch four that they need him to be like they've seen these moments and they know what it takes to do them. So I think Jay Wright is going to win his second national championship in three years. And I think in my second chance, I guess I'll call it my second chance bracket. I think Villanova is going to beat Kentucky in the national championship game. So that's all I have for you guys today. Really appreciate you tuning in. And hopefully March is just as crazy this weekend. And I'll probably be doing another recap of the Sweet 16 and Elite Eight and then a Final Four preview. So you guys should, you guys should definitely stay tuned for that. And thank you so much for tuning in.